Amen, amen. Welcome to Church Crossroads. How are we doing this morning? Yeah. We're so glad you're here. If it's your first time, uh, welcome. We're super pumped you're here. My name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors around here. Uh, we're in a series right now called Winning in Relationships, and we're looking at all the different kinds of relationships that exist in our lives. And last week, we talked about marriage, and this week, we're going marriage part two because it's so important. But before I start, I have to acknowledge something pretty amazing today. Today is my wife's birthday. And uh, so happy birthday to my wife. Uh, and I just want you to acknowledge just for a second that I have to preach a, me a message on marriage on my wife's birthday today. So I covet your prayers. Um, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love, uh, I love my wife. I love our marriage. Uh, it's not perfect. We're not perfect. In fact, um, you know, not all of the blueprints of our marriage, and I bet many of you would agree of your marriages are things that we ought to do based on some of the things that we see. I'll never forget probably the first and maybe, maybe the biggest fight that we have ever had in our marriage. Um, it was so bad that, um, that we had to go and meet at a food court at the Brea Mall because we felt like there needed to be public witnesses in the midst of this conflict. Literally, we drove separate cars on our lunch hour and we met and it was tumultuous and it was hard and it represents this idea. I'm just kidding, the public witnesses thing, such a joke, such a joke. We needed to address it and that was our first available time to do that. Uh, and we needed lunch because you should always probably eat while you're going through conflict because it just makes it, hangry is bad. Uh, that's free today, by the way. That's not in the notes. Hangry is bad. Um, but it's so important and what it showcases is this, is that there is conflict in our relationships. And what you're going to be able to do is walk out of here today with the tools necessary that are going to equip you to fight fair in your relationships. Specifically, we're gonna be talking about how to fight fair in your marriage. But what's so true about today is that, in this message that you're gonna hear, is that this can be transferred into every other kind of relationship that you find yourselves in. There is one small area where it won't apply to other relationships, and I'll make sure that I call that out in just a little bit. It'll probably be pretty obvious what part of the message doesn't apply to other relationships. But these are the kinds of tools and the kinds of things that you can apply in your friendships, with your coworkers at work, with your neighbors, as parents, as children, people in your own life group, people in your neighborhood, and of course, even in your marriage. You are going to confidently be able to walk out of here today and understand what it takes to be able to fight fair in your marriage. If we go back to the very beginning of scripture, you know, sometimes we, we Google, we want to find things, or we want to understand certain things about the Bible. And we wanna, where is there an area of conflict between a husband and a wife? Where can we go and experience that? Well, fortunately for the married people, all you got to do is turn to like page three of your Bible and we see our first conflict in marriage. The first two chapters in your Bible, in my Bible, talk about the creation story. They talk about Adam and Eve and God's amazing plan and sovereignty for people that will put their trust in them. And of course, what happens if you don't? And that's seen woven throughout scripture. Adam and Eve are living in a perfect paradise. Adam and Eve are fulfilling God's plan for marriage. 
One man, one woman, coming together in one, in unity, joined together as one and living in this world. What could go wrong? Then, in any marriage, there comes opportunities that will test our resolve, that will strengthen our ability to cope and fight for the belief that we love our spouse so passionately and that we believe the best in one another. And it's the, record, the first ever recorded conflict that we see in human history. The very first ever conflict, and it shows up in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were given a directive as they were living in Eden, in paradise, that they could eat from any tree in the garden. All of these lush trees, they could eat from any of these, and God said, but there's one that you may not eat from. And one day, Eve's in the garden, and the serpent shows up. And the serpent was shrewd, and he was deceitful, and Eve's there. And the serpent says, you're not eating from that tree? She goes, oh, no, 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 I could never do that. God told me that if I do that, that I will surely die. And the serpent responds, what? You're not going to die? You'll be fine. Actually, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The reason why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because your eyes will be opened to all the things that he sees. You will have full wisdom you will understand the difference between good and evil. Everything will be unlocked and you will get to be just like God. If somebody came to you and gave you that offer, you would say yes too. So okay, give me the fruit. So she takes a bite. And then it says that her husband's there. Hey, try this. And he eats it. And all of a sudden, the course of human history has changed forever because conflict has entered our world. You see, what Adam and Eve didn't know, the thing that we have the privilege of knowing all too well is that conflict is a real and significant part of our human nature. And after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, conflict ensued. You know what's funny? I hear a lot of people say this all the time. You know, what, you know what my problem with the Bible is? It is so irrelevant and outdated. It's just, it's old. It was written so long ago. How could it, it's just an old message. There's, not, there's no practical application that would work today. I'm gonna point back to about page three of your Bible. And I'm gonna tell you that it is so relevant and it is so real. I defy those statements when people say the Bible's old and outdated and old-fashioned. You see, when God asks Adam this very simple, straightforward question, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? This is the question posed to Adam. He responds with, yep, I did. I'm taking full responsibility. It was my fault. That's not what he said. That's not what he said at all. He didn't step up and say, this is on me, this is my responsibility. No, Adam drops this line right here. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. And I've been in this marriage long enough to know that if she says I need to do something, I better do it, so I ate it. And you're the one who gave her to me. 
That's what he says. I love that. Because I would probably do the same thing, honestly. That's probably what I would do. You know, Adam directly blames God and indirectly blames Eve. And of course, what does Eve do? She doesn't accept responsibility either. It's the serpent's fault. It's his fault. He's the one who showed up. You see, when sin entered the world, so did conflict. And there's consequences today, just as there was in this very moment in Scripture. Look at what God tells Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It says, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. You want to know how I know the Bible was relevant then and is still relevant today? Do you think that any source of conflict in our marriage relationships today has anything to do with spouses trying to control their spouse? That's right. You better believe it. A major source of conflict. And so from the very beginning of this very initial response to conflict, Thousands of years ago, is still so incredibly relevant today. You know, if we're all honest, though, none of us want conflict. I don't know one person in here that wakes up and says, I can't wait to fight with my wife today. I can't wait to just throw down with my husband today. I can't wait for it. Nobody wakes up and wants to willingly do that. We all want peace. We all want harmony in our relationships. We all want harmony and peace in our marriage. But it's unavoidable. It's gonna happen. But if it's handled well, it can actually strengthen you and your spouse and your marriage. So how are we supposed to handle this conflict? Well, in the broadest of terms, perhaps you've heard of this, you've got two responses. You can either fight or you can flight. How many of you guys have heard of fight or flight before? That's right, we've all heard about it. We've all heard about that. And these are the two responses. If we aren't in fight mode, we are in flight mode mode, and if we are in flight mode, we are most likely fighting unfair. I'm going to say that again. If we aren't in fight mode, we are in flight mode. And if we are in flight mode, we are most likely fighting unfair. And when it comes to fighting unfair in our marriage, I'll say this, we're pretty good at fighting unfair. We are really good at fighting unfair in our marriages. And what happens is, is those can create some devastating habits and lasting repercussions like this. What are some of these things that would happen in our particular marriages? Well, the first one is that we bring up past hurts. We bring up past hurts all the time. I once heard somebody say it like this. When it comes to offenses in marriage, so when you're offended or you offend somebody else or whatever it might be, when it comes to offenses in marriage, a good memory is very bad, while a bad memory is very good. We love a good scoreboard. And when we have the scoreboard, we're doing this. Fair, unfair. Oh, is this, do I, do I, can I draw on this today? Let's see, let's go... Uh, here, let's try this. We got here and here. Good, bad, failure, success. And all of a sudden now we're keeping score. We love bringing up past hurts. We love bringing up past hurts. This is one of the ways that we fight unfair. Number two, yeah, we use sex as a weapon. Absolutely. If you don't do this, you don't get that. And we weaponize it. 
We weaponize the one thing, I'll get to this later, we weaponize the one thing that God created to exist in the marriage relationship between one man and one woman. It's the one gift that God has given us. It's the only way that you can honor God if you have sex is between one woman and one man in a married relationship, and yet we will weaponize the exclusivity of that. Nobody wants to be a recipient of seeing sex being weaponized. What about this next one? We speak poorly of our spouse. Woo! We speak so poorly of our spouse. I'm not talking about to their face. I'm talking about when you're not with them. We'll talk about more, more about that in just a second. And then another way that we do it is this. We drag our children into our conflict. Children all of a sudden become leverage, collateral. And we pit them against our spouse. The reality is, is there's going to be conflict. Always. There's always going to be conflict. And this isn't about being nice and avoiding conflict. Because if it can be handled well, it will do incredible, incredible things for your marriage. So how do we fight fair? I'm going to share three things with you today that you can begin practicing today, of course, in your marriage, other relationships as well. But if you want to fight fair, number one, attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. And I already know that some of you are thinking, but my spouse is the problem. So by your logic, I'm attacking the person here because the person is the problem. But your spouse is not your problem. Ephesians chapter, 12, uh, chapter 6, verse 12 says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual for- uh, forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, the enemy who is so real, who showed up to Eve in that garden that day thousands of years ago, is the same enemy that is trying to Draw, uh, draw a, an absolute divide in your house between you and your spouse. I firmly believe that the enemy number one target is marriages in our world today, specifically Christian marriages, because people are looking from the outside in and they are wondering how are the Christians doing this marriage thing? Because if the Christians aren't getting it right, then all, everything that they believe and teach and preach, it's worthless. Because my marriage can be just as much a failure without God as it could be with God, and the evidence is the Christian marriages that I'm looking at. That's what the world says. Your spouse is not your problem. There is a problem that exists, and it's not your spouse. The enemy will always try to deceive you in this. The enemy will always try and get you to understand that. I once heard somebody say this, there's always a thing behind the thing. So when there is something happening where you are not enjoying what your spouse is doing or that your spouse or that you may be doing to your spouse and there's conflict and there's some struggle that's happening, chances are there's a thing behind the thing, which reinforces this idea that we have to attack the problem, which means we have to understand the problem, and your spouse is not the problem. You and your spouse might be heightening the problem, You might be exasperating the problem, but your spouse is not the problem. 
Matthew 12, 25 says this, every kingdom divided against itself will be laid waste and no town or house divided against itself will stand. This is so true of our marriages. It's so incredibly true of our marriages. So we can attack the problem, not the person, by practicing two things. The first one is affirm your spouse. Affirmation. Kind words go a long way. And before you say, my wife doesn't deserve kind words, or my husband doesn't deserve kind words, you're right. None of us deserved kind words. None of us do. But guess what? You have made covenant with this person. I love telling that to my kids, by the way. I've looked at my kids and I said, I've only made covenant with two, two people in this world, with God and with my wife, and you ain't one of them. <laughs> I love my kids. But you know what my kids will tell you? Tell them who? Go, go up to Cammie and Kate, hey, who does your dad love most? They'll roll their eyes and be like, mom. And I'm like, that's darn right, you never forget that. And you better find somebody who loves you more than they love their future kids one day. But you gotta affirm your spouse. You see, affirming your spouse by thanking them for something they did for you is key. While actions speak louder than words, it's our words that actually affirm the actions. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says this, watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. And look at this, say only what helps. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. Each word a gift. Some of the complaints in here in marriages is, I don't, I don't get enough gifts. Receiving gifts is one of my love languages. You got to hear Pastor Chuck share about that a couple weeks ago. One of, the, one of the things in my, my love language is receiving gifts. Yes, we need to be intentional about some tangible gifts, but every single day you can give the gift of words in your relationship. Words have the power to build up or to tear down. It's up to you how you want to build or tear down. Watch your words. You can do that by saying, you know what, I really appreciated what you did for me. Chuck talked a little bit about this last week in appreciation. I really appreciated that you took care of the kids. I was really tired, had a long day, and I'm really, I'm really appreciative that you stepped in and you did that. Affirm your spouse in that. Or thank you for cleaning the house today. I know it was your day off, but you really went above and beyond. If you notice something that your spouse is doing, call that out. Affirm them. Thank them. Thank them. A second way that you can attack the problem and not the person is affection. Is affection. This is the part of the message where I said earlier that uh, there's going to be a portion of this part right here where this is only going to actually pertain to marriage, okay? All right? So as you're thinking of other relationships, if you are thinking of maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance or something, this, is, this doesn't apply right here, certain parts of it. I'll make sure that I call that out very clearly. You see, because we live in a busy, busy world, showing intentional affection can be difficult. And oftentimes what happens is our spouse begins to feel like a roommate. Our spouse begins to feel like a roommate. You see, sex is designed to be a gift from God, and that gift was created for marriage, for each other. And nothing hurts more than not desiring your spouse with intentionality and being very, very intentional with him or her. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3-4 through four says this, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body uh, uh, to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, what does this look like? This is not sex every time. Okay? I don't need to see any elbowing, by the way, right now. We don't need to, we don't need to see any elbowing going on, right? This is not sex every time. This can be as subtle as a handhold, a hug, a kiss, a gentle massage, a back rub. Gentlemen, just a back rub. There are different ways that you can show affection. And I tell you what, between words and affection, you talk about being able to be disarmed. You talk about understanding that there's this idea that I'm all about wanting to attack the problem, not the person. You can attack the problem by affirming your spouse, by showing them affection. So you want to fight fair? Attack the problem, not the person. Number two, believe the best. You want to fight fair? Believe the best in your spouse. One of the things that Christina and I, from day one of our marriage, and even before that, that we knew that we would commit to was this. There would be days where we would not see eye to eye. We knew that that would happen. There would be days where we needed to go to the food court at the Brea Mall to settle a dispute. There would be days where there would be some challenges that we would face, no doubt. We knew that that would come. That's part of marriage. That's part of the conflict. But at the end of the day, my wife and I believe this, and we know this of one another, that we are for each other, that we are for one another. Sometimes our actions and sometimes our words might not line up that way, but we believe at the end of the day that we are for one another. Question, are you for your spouse? Are you for them? Here's the gauge. Here's one of the ways that you can tell if you are for your spouse. What are you saying about your spouse when they aren't around? What are you saying about your spouse when they're not around? Oh, it's easy to say nice things about your spouse when they're around. It's easier to say not nice things about your spouse when they're not around. I once heard somebody say uh, uh, say it like this, that a compliment given to somebody when they aren't around counts for two compliments because you're speaking so highly about them even when they are not there. So ladies, when it's girls' night out and you're having a great time and some of the other women that you might be with, because nobody in here probably speaks poorly of their husband in here. Some nervous laughter. But when some of the other women start in on how lazy their husbands are, how unhelpful they are at home, they always look to me to help with the kids. My husband just sits around and watches TV all day. All my husband ever wants from me is sex and I'm so put off by how disgusting he is sometimes. I wanna ask you this question, ladies. Are you harboring bitterness or resentment in your heart towards your husband? Are you harboring bitterness or resentment in your heart towards your husband? Men, when you're hanging with the fellas, and the bash starts in on how all my, ever wife, all, all, all my wife ever does is she just nags on me all the time. She's nitpicking everything that I do. The minute I walk into the house after a long day at work, she hits me with the extra long honeydew list. She never acknowledges how hard I work. 
And I'm always the one having to initiate all the intimacy in our marriage. And you know what? She's just always rejecting me. Gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Are you harboring bitterness or resentment in your heart towards your wife? You see, the issue with speaking poorly of your spouse actually has very little to do with, act, with what's actually coming from your mouth. This issue actually stems from another place, which is why I asked the question, are you harboring bitterness or resentment, not from your tongue, but from your heart? Because look at Luke chapter 6, verse 45. It says this, what you say flows from what is in your heart. It's not a mouth problem, it's a heart problem. And oftentimes there's bitterness and there's resentment that exists in there. And everything that we speak, it's not coming from here. It's coming from here. And that's a problem. You see, what you're saying about your, uh, about your spouse says more about you than it does your spouse. Colossians chapter 3 verse 19 says this, husbands Love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Do not be embittered against them. So how can I believe the best? Let me give you another tool you can use. Apologize. Apologize. Issue an apology. This is perhaps the most key one when it comes to the conflict, and here's why. Because what I would say is, that at the end of the day, and by the way, my wife and I, we've done premarital for lots of couples, and one of the things that we talk about when we talk about this apology portion right here is this, is that at the end of the day, you have an opportunity to clear the air. You have an opportunity to go to your spouse and say, hey, babe, was there anything that happened today that I caused you to be frustrated over, maybe to be angry, maybe a responsibility that I didn't get right? Was there anything, is there anything that I did today? that is causing you to be hurt. Because sometimes we don't know. We're not in the, we didn't get married so that we could become mind readers, by the way. This isn't a try and figure out what I'm saying or what I'm thinking. This is the moment where you have the opportunity to open up about a grievance that might have been done against you. So as just uh, as it is so humbling for somebody to walk up to you and say, is there anything that I did that might cause you to be hurt or frustrated with me today? Is there anything that I did? Because if somebody asks you that question, this is your moment to bring that up. From a biblical standpoint, the person who's coming to you, your spouse, who's asking for that opportunity, seeking an apology, maybe seeking some forgiveness, they're going about it biblically because they're going straight to you and they're handling it. They should be handling it in a private matter just between you and your spouse. And this is the moment that you have to say, there is something and here's what happened. Or I felt demeaned earlier when you said this or I didn't feel appreciated when you did that. Or I was frustrated when you said those things, and it hurt me. You see, if somebody comes to you and is asking for an opportunity to extend forgiveness, now all of a sudden the responsibility is on you to be sure that you're being open and honest. 
Now, does that mean that the conflict has to be resolved in that very instant? No. It can still be ongoing, but this is the opportunity where the conflict must, <coughs> excuse me, must be acknowledged. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 says this, Love keeps no record of wrongs. The best way to get rid of the scoreboard of wrongs in our lives is to understand that we've got to stop doing the things that are causing points to be put up on the scoreboard. There should be no scoreboards whatsoever. Marriage is not a scoreboard of rights and wrongs in our relationships. But oftentimes, if there's a repeat offender, if there's something that is continuing to happen, oftentimes we need to look introspectively and wonder, is there something that I could be doing different? We must be able to get rid of the things that are causing a scoreboard to exist in the first place. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32. It says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And why do we do that? Because God, through Christ, has forgiven you. God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You see, the truth is this, is that forgiveness is costly. It costs a lot to forgive. Forgiveness means letting your spouse off the hook. It means wiping the scoreboard clean. It actually means not putting anything up on the scoreboard in the first place and getting rid of the scoreboard entirely. And what you're doing is you're giving up your right to hold an offense over your spouse's head. If they come to you and ask for an apology, it's got to be sincere. It's got to be meaningful. But if they do that, and they're looking for something that maybe they did unintentionally or unknowingly, this is your opportunity now to open up and share about that. Which you might be thinking, hold on a second. So you're telling me that I gotta forgive and forget. That's what I gotta do? Because I've been told that you can't forgive and forget. Oh, you could forgive, but I might not be able to forget. And if you've heard that, you're right. It is impossible for us to forget, but it is possible for one, and it's God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 31, 34. It says this, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Remember that the benefits found in a right relationship, the benefits found in a right relationship are well worth the cost of forgiveness. I do want to say that in a couple of weeks, as we continue in this series, we'll actually talk about boundaries, which is key in this area when we attempt to forgive and forget. Sometimes we will need to forgive and set boundaries. Now, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But we need to remember this, just as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. If God won't condemn your spouse, then you shouldn't either. If God won't condemn your spouse, then you shouldn't either. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they receive mercy. They receive mercy. So how else? How else, as we are going about understanding that we want to believe the best in our marriage, how else can we do this? We can ask 
We can ask our, our spouse if there's a way that we could serve them. If there's a way that you could help. Is there something that you could do for your spouse that would be of help to them, to serve them, and be specific? These are real tasks, by the way. Ask them if there's a way that you could serve them. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. You have the opportunity to serve your spouse. When is the last time that you voluntarily walked up to your spouse and said, Hey, is there anything that I could do for you today? Is there anything around here that I could help you with? I always talk about my kids, because kids are walking sermon illustrations, by the way. And, um, and I always talk to my kids about this, about their responsibilities that they're supposed to do, that, we, that my wife and I expect of them. And one of the things that I always say is this, is I say, I would love for you to get to the point, and if there's a way that I could help you get there to where I don't have to ask you every single moment of every single day to go do the things that we know that you are supposed to do, that you know that you are supposed to do. I would love for you to take that on and go seek out and complete that task. Or if there's a way that you could be helpful and we're doing things around the house, how is a way that you could jump in? And the same thing is true with my spouse. The same thing is true with my wife. I have to be intentional about asking for ways to go and serve her because it's not about my agenda. It's about meeting her needs. It's not about my needs. It's about lifting her needs up. How can I help you? What can I do? I'll never forget that uh, after we had our second, after we had Cade, um, I would uh, come home from work and um, we made the decision that my wife would stay home. She wouldn't work. She'd, she would stay home with our kids until they got a little bit older and were in school. And, um, and so this was what we wanted to do. And so she was home and she is just a phenomenal mom, like so amazing. Puts me to shame as a dad and I'm constantly trying to keep up with her and I don't, I'll never catch up. But she's just so phenomenal. And so I would finish a, day's, a day at work and I would drive home and I would bust through the door and I'd be like, it's time to be like super husband. It's time to go. Like, it's been a busy day. It's been hectic. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, what are all the to-do lists that I could do? Because I want to help. I want to be a good husband. And so I would start in on doing all these things. And I would, you know, go clean the bathroom. Or I would, you know, vacuum a little and do all these things. And the kids, you know, they're, they're kids. They're making a mess of all these things. And I'm coming in. And I'm helping out. How can I make dinner? What can I do? I want to do the dishes. I want to do all these things. And then all of a sudden, I would notice that my wife, she was very unhappy with me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just worked eight, maybe 10, maybe 12 hours today, and I'm coming home, and I'm doing all these things, and you're ungrateful about it? And I didn't say that out loud, by the way. It's all right here. I knew better. That was all right here. I never said that. But there began to be conflict. And I would ask, what's wrong? And then she would say the words that would haunt me. No words. Silence. I wanted some words. And then she said, you know, I love our kids more than anything. Well, not more than you, and the kids know that. <laughs> but I, I love our kids, and I'm with them all day. I just want some time for myself, and I want to do those tasks. All I want you to do is come home and play with the kids. 
And I'm like, this is one of those trap questions, isn't it? That's one of those tricks, isn't it? And I'm like backing up. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I know how this goes. I'm supposed to say, no, I'm doing these tasks for our marriage and for you. No, she genuinely wanted time. And so I got like the best deal ever and I get to come home and play with the kids. You see, I would have known that had I asked, what is the best way that I could serve you? Because I think that I know the best way to serve her, but I missed it. You see, if we lead with that question, is there a way that I could do something that could help you today? All you have to do is ask. So you wanna, you wanna fight fair? You wanna fight fair in your marriage? Attack the problem, not the person. Believe the best in them. And then number three, stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. We live in a world today where it's, we, we, we live in a world of a la carte choices. That if we don't feel like doing this or we don't feel like committing to that or we don't wanna keep covenant with this, that we, just, we can just walk away. We gotta put in the work to fight. I've been around students a long time in my life and I've seen the repercussions and the damage that has been done where kids have seen couples give up too easily, where one single conflict just ends it. That there's no fight, there's no desire to push towards that covenant and remember that covenant. There's no perfect marriage out there. There never will be. But we got to stay in the fight. And if you're not using this principle right here, I don't know that it'll ever get better for you. So how can you stay in the fight? I'm going to say the word amen. Pray together. Pray together. Pray for your spouse. When is the last time that you were by yourself and you were having some time with the Lord and you prayed for your spouse. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you prayed with your spouse? I miss that sometimes. I miss that. Sometimes I don't follow through on praying with my spouse. Sometimes I don't follow through on praying for my spouse as often as I should. But if you wanna stay in the fight, starts with praying for one another. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says this. It says, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and pray long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep, your, keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind and drops out. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. It says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Go back to that day that you stood at the altar. Think about that day. Yeah, there was probably some chaos. Yeah, there were probably some things that happened that were unplanned. Yeah, there were probably some wild stories that you have from it. But as you stood there before a pastor that married you and a God that you stood before and you wanted to honor in your marriage, I want to call you back to that moment. 
You see, when you say yes to your spouse on that, when you said yes to your spouse on that wedding day, that wasn't a finish line, it was a starting line. And there's been obstacles and there's been trials and there's been difficulties and challenges, successes, failures, joys, fears, so many things that have happened. But are you willing to stay in the fight? Are you willing to acknowledge that the covenant that you made with your spouse before God matters? Why would it be worth all of that? Because we serve a God who sent his son down to this earth, who stays in the fight for you every single day. He believes the best in you. He never accuses you of being the problem. And I believe that he wants you to stay in that fight, not only in your marriage, but also in your fight for him that you would continue to cling to him. Because the reality is, your relationship, it's worth fighting for. Your relationship is so worth fighting for. I'm talking about your relationship in your marriage, but I'm also talking about your relationship with the Lord. That is worth fighting for. Maybe the key to unlocking a marriage where you can now begin to fight fair actually starts with correcting, recentering, or maybe even, even saying yes to a real relationship with Jesus, to come back to him. What are your eyes focused on in your marriage? What are your eyes focused on in other relationships in your life? Are you pointing others to Jesus? Are you pointing your spouse to Jesus? That's my question for you. Are you willing to put your eyes on Jesus first? Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I thank you for... I thank you for the institution of marriage that was not man-made, but it was your idea. And it's to be honored by all people. And Lord, as we have entered into marriage, it was never designed to be entered into flippantly, but it was actually meant to be entered into deliberately, almost as if you didn't flippantly send your son down to this earth, earth, but you deliberately sent your son down to this earth because you knew what you were doing. You knew that relationships on this earth would experience conflict. You knew that marriages would be experiencing conflict, but you provided a solution in the gift of your son Jesus who would come and die for all of our sins, who would be the atoning sacrifice for all of us. And so Jesus, we thank you for what you did so that we could experience a love now with you and with others. Right now, I want to pray for the, the couples in here. I don't know who you are, but God does. And it's been a struggle. And it's been difficult. 
the word divorce has been thrown around. Maybe fighting for your spouse doesn't feel like it's what you want to do anymore. If your eyes aren't focused on Jesus, if you're not willing to center your life on him, I'm not sure that there will be success in that in your marriage. There can be. But I ask you that question. Is Jesus the first priority? Is Jesus the most important? If he's not, I want to give you an opportunity to acknowledge that he needs to be the center. That he needs to be the most important thing. I pray for the single person in here who walked in here today and didn't know we were going to be talking about marriage and maybe sat there and just kind of metaphorically threw their hands up and said, oh, here we go again, another one of these. I pray that the Lord has um, moved in your heart in such a way that you're recognizing maybe there's some imperfections and some relationships and some things maybe that you have brought to other relationships in your life that maybe they need to be corrected today. Maybe they need to be fixed today. I pray for the couple in here that haven't found you yet. I pray for the couple in here that has been struggling so hard and so much. I pray for the person in here who is just tired and they're exhausted. Lord, that they would discover freedom in you they would discover that the invitation to come follow you it may not be easy but it'll be fulfilling and so if you're in here and you want to say yes to Jesus whether you are an individual or whether you are a couple or whether it's a husband or it might be a wife and you recognize that your commitment to your spouse, that your commitment to other relationships necessitates a commitment to God first, I wanna give you a chance to do that. I wanna give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, that if you've never said yes to him, I wanna give you that moment to do that right now. Or maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe the relationships in your life, a marriage, a friendship, a broken relationship with a coworker or a son or daughter, or someone in your life group. Maybe that starts with you recentering your life on Jesus. If that's you, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And this prayer is a simple prayer. It's not fancy, it's not eloquent. All it does is it acknowledges that God is God and we aren't. And that he sent his son Jesus on our behalf. So if you wanna say yes to him, if you wanna come back to him, would you repeat this prayer after me? Say it silently to yourself right where you sit. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. And thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open up my heart to you. I open up my life to you. Today, I say yes to you. Yes, I want your love. Yes, I want the life you have for me. And yes, I want your Holy Spirit. So fill me with your love and fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen if you prayed that prayer. Amen if you made that commitment.
Amen if you decided today is the day that I no longer want to continue to keep my eyes fixed somewhere else but on Jesus. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.